Thanks very much, Debbie. We haven't put the step up today. It's quite a, quite a leg up there, isn't it? <laughs> Let's pray together. My name's Daph. We're going to look at those words in the Bible together from 1 John 4. But what we're wanting is that as we do that, God would speak to us by his spirit through his words. So let's pray that that had happened. Our Father in heaven, we thank and praise you. Your word is truth and life, and your word teaches us of your great love for us in Jesus. So our Father, wherever we are with you this morning, whether we've known you for a long time, whether we long to know you as a heavenly Father, whether maybe even we sit here and are a bit indifferent to you, please speak into our hearts that we might know how loved we are and we might come to Christ for his name's sake. Amen. On September the 5th, 2006, gunner Lee Thornton was shot on patrol in Basra, Iraq. He died two days later with his family at his bedside. He wrote this letter to his fiancée, Helen Prey, in the event that he should die while in Iraq. Hi, babe. I don't know why I'm writing this, because I really hope this letter never gets to you. Because if it does, it means that I'm dead. It also means I never had the time to show you just how much I really did love you. You've shown me what love is and what it feels like to be loved. You are the beat of my heart, the soul in my body. You are me because without you I'm nothing. I love you, Helen. You're my girlfriend, my fiancé, my best friend. You're the person I know I could turn to when I needed help. You're the person I looked at when I needed to smile. You're the person I went to when I needed a hug. When I'm away, I feel like it's I left my soul by your side. You've shown me so much while I've, you've been in my life that if I lost you, I could not live. I want you to know how much you mean to me. You are my whole world, and I love you with all my heart. You are my happiness. There is no sea or ocean that could stop my love for you. It is the biggest thing I've ever had. When I say I love you, I'm trying to say that you make me feel warm and great about myself. You make me smile and laugh every day. You make time to talk to me and to listen to what I have to say. I know this is going to sound sad, but every night I spent away, I had a photo of you on my headboard. Each night I'd go to bed, kiss my fingers, then touch your face. I put the photo over my bed so you could look over me as I slept. I'll always be looking over you to make sure you're safe, Helen. So whenever you feel lonely, just close your eyes and I'll be right there by your side. I really did love you with all I had. You were everything to me. Never forget that. Love always and forever, Lee. The Bible actually says that love is at the heart of the universe because people are created in the image of God who is love and God, the one who was before all things and has made all things, is love himself. I wonder if you notice that in our reading. Twice those three words are repeated in verse 8 and verse 16. God is love. In fact, there's probably no passage in the Bible that talks more about God's love than these verses in 1 John. 29 times in those verses, the word love or, or beloved is mentioned. It's what John says in the start of the verse, in, in verse 7, the strapline of the passage. He, he wants us to be absolutely clear that we are loved by God in Jesus and therefore a people of love. Then in verse 7 he says, dear friends. Literally the word is beloved. People who are loved. Let us love one another, for love comes from God. He's talking here specifically about the love Christians have for one another. He says that love 
is a mark of being a Christian. It's a sign you've been born of God, that you're a member of his family, one of his children. It's how you know that you know God, that you love one another. Have a look what he says in, in verse 8 with me. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. So, so the other side of the equation is how can you claim to be a member of God's family if you don't have that characteristic It should be part of the very spiritual DNA written on the heart of a Christian that they love other people. Not because they are loving, but because God is love. Not God equals love, that that merely God is a way of describing that feeling that we have for one another that we call love. No, rather that God is in himself a relationship of perfect love love. God the Father has loved God the Son, and God the Son has always loved God the Father, and God the Spirit has loved them both forever and ever and ever, and so on. Three persons in the Trinity bound together in perfect love for one another. So so imagine rather than Lee writing to Helen, what, what would God the Father write to God the Son if he was writing a letter? He might say, My son, in the timelessness of eternity, I have loved you. Before anything was made, we have known one another. Never had a disagreement, never a crossword, always in perfect harmony. Bound together in inseparable mutual love. Longing the best for each other. Seeking the glory of the other. Working out our common purpose in history. My son, my one and only son, how I love you. So to understand what love is this morning, you have to understand the heart of God. And John tells us four characteristics of God's love this morning in this passage. And here's the first one. It's a love we don't deserve. A love we don't deserve. We see that probably in two of the most precious verses in the Bible. 1 John 4, 9 and 10. Look down at verse 9 with me. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. See, God shows his love. He reveals it. It's not hidden or secret. And he does it personally, intimately, by sending the most precious thing he has, his one and only son. He sends him into a hostile place, the world, a place that actually hates God. He sends him with a purpose for us, to save us, because without him, you cannot live. And is that true? Verse 10, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God takes the initiative in love. We don't, we don't naturally love God. In fact, in fact, we're quite the opposite. We reject God. Most of the time, we blank him. Sometimes we absolutely go for him. I, mean, I don't know about you, but I, I hate it when people blank me. You know, when they ignore what you're saying. They, they act like you're not there. It's one of the best ways that, that, uh, that my kids can wind me up. You know, you know that situation? If you're, you're a parent, you're standing at the bottom of the stairs. Could you, could you just come down and help a second? Could, could you come down and help? It's amazing the sound-resistant properties of the average plywood door when requests are made up the stairs. And they just walk past you. Or if they're really hacked off, 
You call to them and they're, they're right there in front of you and they just don't acknowledge your presence. Well, that's the way we treat with God. He gives us life. He sustains us every minute of every day. And by nature, we blank him. We ignore him. Often when we do talk to him, what we really want to do is have a good whinge about he's not quite living up to what we hoped we'd get out of him. He's not delivering on our plan. We use God. You see, that's why God initiates love, because we don't love God. And he does it by sending his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. In other words, Jesus comes to deal with the way that we have treated God. Not not to teach us how to love one another, not to be an example of love, but to lay down his life in love in our place. Now, that's the idea of an atoning sacrifice. God actually doesn't give us what we deserve. His righteous anger, ah, the way we've treated him. No, he comes in the person of his son. And the father says to the son, son, I'm going to turn aside my anger that they deserve, and I'm going to pour it out on you, my precious, perfect, one and only beloved son, because I love them. And the son says through sweat and tears in the garden of Gethsemane, it's hard, Lord, not not my will, but, but yours be done. In other words, bring it on, Father, I'll do it. Because I love you, and I love them too. Or if you remember, a few years ago, there was a boat disaster with tourists in Bahrain. And quite a number of British people had drowned. There was one guy, Philip Moody, who died. But he died after rescuing his wife, Alison. A colleague who was there, Rajesh, reported what had happened. He said this. First he rescued his wife, and then another lady and then removed water from her stomach, and then he went under, and and after that, we don't know what happened. Everybody here is remembering this man. He was a good man. You don't often see a man in the world like that. Now, now if you'd asked Philip Moody's wife, Alison, "Did, did your husband love you? I don't think she'd take very long to answer that question, would she? She said, of course he loved me. He died to save me. And to the question, does God love you? Well, the answer actually isn't simply, of course he loves me, he died to save me. The answer is, of course he loved me enough to die to save me when I rejected him, when I ignored him, when I wasn't even interested in him. Yet he still loves me. You see, when you you look at the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, the least you can say is, you don't often see a man in the world like that. Now, if you're a Christian here this morning, did you see how precious you are to God? Not because of who you are, but because he chose to love you. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And if you're not a Christian yet here today, do you see how this love is unique? You see, to find out what, what God is really like, you, you can look at the awesome nature of creation. You, you can see the incredible power displayed of Jesus in his life. But actually, to see what God is really like, you look outside Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, 
to a lonely figure hanging on a cross, to a darkened sky that spoke of God's right anger, and to a perfect life given so that we might be dearly loved children of God. It's all God's work. He showed, he sent, he sacrificed, he loved. And so John says in verse 11, Beloved, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And you go, well, of course we could. I mean, how can you do anything else if you've been loved like that? And when we begin to love a little bit like God loves us, an extraordinary thing happens in verse 12. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. It means that today, today, March the 26th, 2017, the best chance of anyone has of seeing something that looks a little bit like the invisible God is us. As God makes his love complete in us. That that complete love of the, the Father for the Son. It's as we love one another in a other person-centered unconditional, giving love, a love that takes the initiative, a a love that doesn't count the cost. If we love one another like that, people see God's love. And even more than that, we actually get to taste a little bit of the love of heaven here on earth. You see, when we talk about experiencing God's love, it's not something that's individual and abstract. You know, that feeling you get when you, you sing your favorite songs, it's all about me. No, God's love is experienced primarily in a corporate concrete way it's experienced by living amongst a people the mark of whom is sacrificing their own desires their own self-righteousness their own comfort their own lives for the good of each other it's an utterly unique love a love you don't deserve and how do you get it well that's the second thing john says about god's love it's a love you can depend on a love you can depend on look at verse 13 with me This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. Literally, it's more than live, it's remain in him, abide in him. It's talking about an intimate relationship with God. And when John says no, it's not like you know your two times table. It's no as in you know your wife. Or, or you know a parent. It's, it's an intimate relationship of love. This is how we remain in him, how we know him, because of God's spirit. He's the one who makes God's love real to us. And how does he do that? Well, look at what John says in verse 14. He brings us to see the truth about Jesus. Verse 14, we have seen, says John, and testify, the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. We, says John, me and and the other apostles, we saw, we we heard, we even touched Jesus. And as the Spirit works in us, we become convinced, yeah, they were right. The man they saw before them was the eternal God clothed in flesh, sent by the Father to save us, to save me. And that's why I'd want to say, if you're here this morning and you're not yet someone who's a Christian, you're thinking things through, the best thing you can do is to pick up an account of Jesus' life. Why not pick up John's gospel, the, the, the one written by the guy who wrote this letter, that eyewitness testimony about Jesus and what he did and said. See, see what you make of him. Is he 
an extraordinary man of love. And I'd say the same thing if you're a Christian here this morning and you're saying, I'm not sure that I, I know God loves me. I'd say pick up a gospel. Because God's love is written into history in his own blood. John writes this as a man who stood at the foot of the cross. That the man who Jesus actually spoke to as he was dying. You can trust John. Because that's how you come into a relationship with God, John says. It's by acknowledging Jesus. But by trusting in Jesus. By coming to Jesus the one who gave up his life to save you. And people ask me if I'm Welsh. That's because they can't cope with my long Welsh name, which is David Patrick Abgarag Merion Jones, and the fact that I sound about as Welsh as the Prince of Wales, don't I? Which is because I, I grew up in Guildford in Surrey. But I actually know that Welsh blood courses through my veins, even though I was actually born in Canterbury in Kent. Now, how do I know that? Well, because I openly support Welsh sports teams. That's uh, most of the time not something you do if you want to be successful. Uh, The Welsh national anthem brings tears to my eyes. And all you English people out there have to admit it's a lot better than God Save the Queen. It brings tears to my eyes. And when I sing, this happened to me recently, Guide me, O thou great Jehovah. For some reason, I do it in a Welsh accent. Bread of heaven, I just can't help myself. But, But more than that experience of being Welsh, I've also got written evidence. I've got my Welsh family Bible. My, my uncle researched our family tree stretching back into the hills of Snowdonia over the centuries. Now, please don't let this illustration put you off being a Christian, because but, but, you don't have to be Welsh. It's okay. But, but you see, I know I'm Welsh because of a work within me, but actually also I know I'm Welsh because of a fact outside me that's written down. And that's what John is saying here. I know God's spirit is within me. So when I look at the facts written down, I know Jesus is the savior of the world. And I can depend on that love. That's what he says in verse 16. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. Because it's not going to change, is it? To change God's love for you, what you have to do is you have to rip Jesus out of history. You have to drag him off the cross and make him someone who didn't exist. No, God's love isn't dependent on how you feel. It's dependent on what he has done. And as he writes that truth on our hearts by the power of his spirit, we know he loves us, however we feel. You see, God's love depends on the fact that the Father sent the Son to save you. And that means you can trust it whatever life throws at you. It's an unshakable love. A tangible and real love that then goes to make an enormous difference in day-to-day life. It's a love you don't deserve. It's a love you can depend on. And here's the third thing. It's a love that drives out fear. Because God is love, says John in verse 16, doesn't he? That the very nature of knowing God is to know you're bound to a God who loves you and then you love in return. Look what he says down in verse 17. This is how love is made complete among us, so we have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we're like Jesus. See, God is always at work to bring his love to completion in us. Within himself, God is perfect love. Now, how, how can your heavenly Father be satisfied 
with anything less for his children. That's what he's doing in you. He's bringing to completion perfect love within you. And so God promises here that he treats us all who follow him, those who are his children, he treats us in the same way as he treats his son. He says, in this world we are like Jesus. Not that we walk on water, heal people, or go around being eternally pleasant. No, that we have the same status as Jesus. But because of that great exchange that happened at the cross. You see, all of my failure, all of my selfishness, my lack of love for God, for people, for, for the people who I should love the most, for my wife, for my, my children, my family, all of that has been taken by Jesus and dealt with through his death. And all that he is, his righteous life, his perfect love, his sonship, his perfect relationship with his Father in heaven, his inheritance, his spirit, all of that has been given to me in place of what he's taken. So the the status that you have in this world as a Christian is perfect like Christ. And the experience that we will have in the next world when we go to be with him is perfect like Christ. And so John says... God wants you to have confidence when you face him in judgment, not not because of who you are, but because you're like Jesus. You're judged according to Jesus' life, not yours. His perfect life given for you. So if if you're not a Christian here this morning, there are two vital things you know. One is God will hold you to account for the way you have treated him and other people. There is a judgment to come. But the second thing you need to know, that in Christ, he has done everything for you, that if you will trust in him, you can face that judgment with confidence. We have the status of children of God. A story told of the American Civil War, of one man who wanted to go home for compassionate leave. Things were rough back at home, but the more he asked his officers, he he just couldn't get them to agree to letting him be discharged to go home. So he, he did a sensible thing. Well, it wasn't really. It was a ridiculous thing. He thought, I know, I'll go straight to the top. I'll go to Abraham Lincoln. And he went AWOL, absent without leave, and, and found himself outside the gates of the White House a few days later. But of course, you don't just sort of walk in to see the president if you're just a punter. And he was turned away by the guards of the White House. And he went despondent to, to a park just across the street. And he was sitting on a bench filled with pity and tears welling up in his eyes. And there's a little lad kicking, kicking a ball around, and, and the boy came over to him, and he, he said, what's up, mister? And the man, more because someone would listen to him rather than he actually thought it was worth telling the little boy, ran through a brief account of his sorry tale of woe, and the lad said, come with me. And probably more through shock than really a considered decision, the, the, the man walked behind the boy, and, and the boy just walked straight past the guards to the front gate of the White House. And the boy man walked walk with him. And he went straight in the front door. And the man followed him up the stairs along a corridor. And by this stage, the man was totally stupefied. And he opened the door of the Oval Office, walked straight in, and stood before Abraham Lincoln. And Abraham Lincoln turned around and said, What is it, Todd? And the boy said, Dad, there's a man here I really think you should see. See, that is what it is to have the status of a child of God. 
to walk fearlessly into God's presence because you are his precious child simply because he has made you like Jesus through the death that Jesus achieved at his own dear son at the cross. That's why John says love drives out fear. See, if God's given you status beloved son, then he's never going to leave you or forsake you, is he? John says so in verse 18. The opposite side of this coin is there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Now, I don't know what you're afraid of, but let me tell you what I'm afraid of most of the time, that people will find out what I'm really like. The, 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 the shame will become public shame. And the result is that they won't love us. Uh, sometimes, isn't it, that, that we actually hide the truth of what we're really like from, from the people who, who love us the most, who know us the best. And that's because our human love is conditional. What we do is we're afraid people will know what we're really like, and then... Just to top it all, we go around judging everyone else by standards we don't keep ourselves. But, but God already knows exactly what you're like. You ain't got no secrets with the king of the universe. And he loves you. Enough to send his son to die for you. And your heavenly father says to you, you are my child. In this world, you're like Jesus. You see, there's, there's only one type of Christian, the one who's loved and treated as the perfect son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that means you can bring your fears to God. You can, you can bring them to the cross. You can bring your fear of being beyond the love of God. You can bring your fear of being condemned by God or other people. You can bring your fear of being exposed in shame. Your fear that you're not the person you want to be. Your fear that you might never be the person you'll want to be because you just can't change. You can bring the fears you have about the legacy of your past, the shame that you know. You can bring your fears about the security of your future. And you can bring them to God because you know he loves me with an everlasting love. A love that will never let me down and will never let me go. A love that casts out fear. That's what to do with your fears today. Let God's love for you and the Lord Jesus Christ cast them out. Because John says, doesn't he, in verse 19, we love because he first loved us. And that's the last thing we need to see. It's a love we don't deserve. It's a love you can utterly depend on. It's a love that we find, drives out our fears. And lastly, it's a love that defines us. Because, in fact, John says here at the end that when you know God's love, loving his people, they're, they're inseparably, inseparably tied together. Look down at verse 20 with me. It's the last thing to see. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or a sister is a liar. Whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they've seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Now, for years I've struggled with this verse. It basically says, it's easier to love my fellow Christian brother or sister who I see than to love God who I don't see. Now, here's my problem. 
It's because I see my fellow Christian that I don't love them. They wind me up, they get on my nerves, they let me down, they hack me off. If I couldn't see them, I mean, absence makes the heart grow fonder, doesn't it? It'd be a lot easier. And then how, how I can love God, you know? I sing the songs, it moves my heart, I have a happy time with him, yeah? But, but you know what my problem is as I think like that? I'm thinking of love like the world does. Do you see how different the love in this passage has been from the world's love? The world says love is the way someone else makes you feel. And actually, that's not love at all. It's self-love. You know, as long as you make me feel good about myself, I'll stick with you. But when I don't like the way you make me feel, I'll ignore you, or I'll leave you, or I'll get grumpy with you. But God's love is the opposite of that. It's not that God looked down upon us and went, oh, aren't they lovely? I think I'll send my son to die for them. So it's not that God loved our sin or our hatred. Now, there was nothing lovely about us. And his love is his settled determination to do good for us at great expense to himself simply because he loves us. He chooses to do it. Because why? God is love. Now, when you think of love like that, verse 20 makes sense. But because it's much easier for me to have a settled, determined desire to act for your good, even though you might wind me up, even though I might not look out upon you and my heart be moved in love, I can see you and I can think, yeah, I can help that person. I can try to do something this week that speaks of God's love to them. Whereas it's quite hard to know how to love God infinite in space and time, beyond space and time, the God who is invisible. How do I love him? Well, God tells me how to love him in verse 21. And he's given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother or sister. So actually, we love God not most when our hearts are moved by a wonderful song about his love. No, that's us experiencing his love for us. We love God when we turn up early on a Sunday to set up the chairs where we usually like to have a Sunday lion. We love God when we go to our life group, when they wind us up, or we're tired and we can't be bothered. We just go. We love God when we listen to someone over a coffee, when we'd much rather have gone to the gym. We love God when we maybe give that money we've been saving for a holiday. So so a family in the church who who haven't been able to go for a holiday for years because they can't afford it, they just get to go away for a few days. We love God when we, we sit down with someone who who's maybe new at church, and we just ask them, how are you going? Is this your first time here? We risk them saying, no, actually, I've been here for the last 25 years. Why haven't you spoken to me? (laughs) We love God when we come on a Sunday thinking, how can I serve people at church today? Not thinking, well, I like the songs and the sermon today. We love God when we text a friend who we know is having a tough time. And just like Ben was saying, or Christian Kandahar was saying in that video, we say, can I do your washing for you this week? (laughs) That's how we love God. And when that's not your heartbeat, what do you do? Well, you go back to the Father who has loved you in his Son, and you say, sorry, please, please, would I love others more like you love me? 
I've got no doubt that Lee Thornton loved his girlfriend Helen with a deep, passionate love. But it is nothing compared to God's love for us in Christ. I wonder what the father would write to the son. My son, in timeless eternity, I have loved you. Before the creation of anything, we've known one another. Never a disagreement, never a crossword, always in perfect harmony, bound together, inseparable in mutual love, longing the best for each other, seeking the glory of one another, working out our our common purpose in history. My one and only son, how I love you. But now you must go. Go to a place where you'll be rejected. Go to a place where you'll be hated. Go to a place where you'll experience the physical pain of death and suffering. Go to a place where you'll know the spiritual agony, and I will abandon you to wicked men, and I will pour out my righteous anger upon you. You will feel what it is not to be loved, but to be cursed. Not to be one with me, but to be separated from me. I will put you through hell. Oh, my son, how I love you. But I love them as well. Let's pray together. This is love not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Our Father in heaven, we thank and praise you for your great love for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. A love we don't deserve. A love we can utterly depend on. A love that can drive out our fears. A love that should define us. Oh, our Father, please fill us with an ever greater knowledge of your love. Cast our eyes back to the cross by the power of your Spirit. Overwhelm us with a sense of how loved we are in Christ. And by the power of the same Spirit, would we taste more of your love in our love for one another? Would we show more of your love in our love for one another? For Jesus' name's sake, amen.